You're listening to Rick Flynn. With a shout out from London Town, it's Rick Flynn presents. Now, ladies and gentlemen, your MC for the affair, Rick Flynn. Well, here is the man, ladies and gentlemen. He's here, and wow, what a show for you today. From Niagara Falls, New York. Slowly I turn. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) They called him a man. Well, actually, he started out years ago as a DJ after he played a little guitar, and he was a DJ, and his name is Ron Laster, the master music blaster. And you started as a DJ and then later switched back to guitar, Ron, and you were 27 good years with one of the best entertainers in the world. And who would that be? The Godfather of Soul, James Brown. (laughs) That's right. Let's hear a little of that, that master music blaster DJ voice, if you don't mind. Well, back in the day, I used to always, it was always cold in Niagara Falls, and I used to come up with this catchphrase, it's 45 degrees outside in sunny downtown Niagara Falls, New York, you've got me, the master music blaster, your kicker till three. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All righty. Okay, but now, you actually started as a young child on the guitar because some character came to your dad exactly and he went to your dad now was your dad a preacher well actually he was like a a deacon for a long time and then there was just one day he just came up to me and said i need to preach i said i got the calling i said ah dad i'm playing with him i said what was it one friday evening no he said actually son it was a it was a tuesday he got real serious on and uh and from that day on, he became a, the most honest man I ever met in my life. Right. And he, he literally, I mean, did he turn preacher or did he stay a deacon? No, he turned preacher. He was chairman of the deacon board. As a matter of fact, his name is etched in stone on the church that they built. Uh, it's outside. You know, he was one of the original builders of the church. And, oh, then he beca- and then he became a preacher. Yeah, he got ordained. He had a third grade education. And it was so funny when we were coming from school, he used to like get us, sit us down. What y'all learned today? What y'all learned today? And we were basically homeschooling. And that's what we, that's the term they're using these days. We were basically homeschooling him to the point where he passed all his tests with flying colors and got ordained and studied that Bible backwards and forwards. And the rest became Reverend Robert Laster Sr. So that's how it began. Right. And this is the Baptist church. Yeah, of course. Right, right. <laughs> right. I'll tell you what, growing up in the Presbyterian church, I will tell you, you did not see a set of drums up on the, the altar up there. Well, uh, it's ironic. It's ironic. My particular, one of the different facets of the Baptist, Black Baptist churches, our particular church didn't care for drums and stuff like that. You know, later on, as the Baptist people started to adapt, that became the norm now. You know, even now, I play on Sundays at Flint Ridge Baptist Church, and we have a full little rhythm section now. Right. Now, you're not back in Niagara Falls anymore, are you? Oh, no. I'm in Atlanta, GA. Oh, right, right, right. Well, I'll tell you, we kept it real funky up here when I was a DJ, and I had people come in from Atlanta, and they say, Rick, we've heard of you in Atlanta. And it was uh, one of the uh, program directors from Uh one of the radio stations because the way I did it is I took the Cincinnati slash Dayton soul, and I don't need to explain to you what's going on in Cincinnati and Dayton with soul music. (laughs) That was the Roger Troutman Bootsy area on King Records, all of that. That's King Records on Brewster Avenue in Evansville. where I accompanied and stood next to the godfather of soul. When he came back, the politicians flew him up. Uh, They rented a private jet. They flew him up. James brought his granddaughter with him. 
That's uh-huh. that's all he brought. He wanted to see King Records because there was talk at one time, Ron, about rebuilding it. I mean, the bones are there of the building, but when James went in there and I was right there with him, he was upset because they had been using the King Records building as a warehouse. Oh man, that was like an iconic place. That's like messing up Motown or Chess Records. You know what he said? Where's my desk? Where's where that desk is where I <laughs> that desk is where I wrote all of my songs. Typical James Brown. Typical. Yeah. Uh-huh. My desk is gone. I'm telling you, Ron. There was nothing in the building. I was there inside of it standing next to your old boss and he he was upset there was cement walls a cement floor they had been using it as a warehouse the tenant moved out that left an empty king records building the experts that the city hired went in there and said, boys and girls, it's going to cost you more to fix this up than what we could build a brand new studio for. And so uh-uh. they put a little plaque outside on the oh, side. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, a plaque. Yeah, this building, King Records, da-da-da-da, on a little, little bronze plaque. And James got the heck out of there, and he was all upset. because oh, I'm desk, sure he was pissed. I know oh, he was. He was. I know him. Yes, I he, know he was. He thought that his desk should have been in there because that's where he wrote all of the songs. And, Ron, the way it works with these boys is, what is the old saying? You pays your money, you takes your choice. Yeah, there you go. when someone rents a building or owns it outright, they do with the real estate what they want to do. Exactly. It's all probably business. You know, they're not thinking about the actual legacy that was involved with the building. That's totally right. That's totally right. But what I did, Ron, and what caused me to become known in this business of funk music, and I was inducted as an honorary funketeer by Bootsy himself. My man, my I'm man. I'm telling you what, because uh, all right. you don't know this, Ron, but for 33, that's double three, three, three years of my life, one of my two best friends on this planet was a guy you may know. His name was Phelps Catfish Collins. Collins, yes, of course. And he, player. Pl- he played guitar on Sex Machine mm-hmm. and a bunch of other of the James Brown hits. And yeah, well, was, they went through a they went through a period of exactly one year and nine months. We always laugh about that because a lot of us have been there so long, and they get so much more publicity. They get so much because that particular era, James was stringing out hits back to back to back. But they weren't even there two years. No, that's true. Know? No, I yeah. think they were only there. Ron, I only think they were there about a year. I think it was a year and like nine months because like uh, that was like James always leaves these little gaps. So you have to do you if you count, if you take away the gaps, it was a year. But if you add the little gaps of firing and rehiring, for example, I must have got fired 22 times. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, uh, you're not alone. You're not alone. I'm telling you, you know, Mm -hmm. I could get fired and rehired in five minutes, you know, but Uh, I think I, I think I own the record. I'll tell you what. That style of guitar playing that James had, and you have it on your album now, which we're going to talk about later. But okay. that ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. That, they say, and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, they sure. say that Phelps Catfish Collins was one of the main pioneers of that style of funk. Well, actually, you know, I mean, like, it's it's funny how if, if they say somebody's the pioneer of the style because they're the first ones that maybe heard it globally or nationally. But they were like back in the days when you had like Jimmy Nolan, who really played with James Brown and Clades, who played with Cool in the Gang 
And oh, my yeah. I, yeah, and my idol was Freddie Stone from Sly. We all had that cheeky cheeky thing. It's more like a I don't know if it's a neighborhood thing or it's a soul thing or it's a gospel song, but it's something about the rhythmic. It's almost like taking percussion and turning it and playing it on guitar. You're actually playing a percussion instrument when we play that chink chink rhythm. You're, we're keeping percussion is mystic time, and that's where it comes from. And then we add our little flavor, put our little hood thing on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we yeah we got our you know soul just like you could tell different areas that you go to like. Like from my area, you know, Stone City Band, Rick James and them, we had our own style, but it was still the chinky chinky thing. And, you know, uh, it was still in that mode. Now, uh, Rick James and the Stone City Band, they were out of uh, b- b- Buffalo, New York. Buffalo, right. Yeah. yeah now, did, you, run, play, run did you play with him? No, I played with the guys. I knew him well. I knew his mother very well because I remember that one time we did a pay-per-view show. His mom was there. She looked at me and she said, wow. I said, yes, ma'am. Yes, Miss Johnson. She said, what are we going to do with him? I said, <laughs> <laughs> I said, I don't know, Miss Johnson. I know the whole family. You know, his brother had a brother that was a lawyer. He had a one brother that was a convicted murderer. And he had a, a sister that was uh, uh, like a, a streetwalker. And then he had a brother that was a lawyer. I'm talking about, you talking about a mix of family when you walk in that door. Well, he got a little of everything. Right. Now, he uh, he was on the Motown label. Yeah, yeah, he got lucky because uh, we used to didn't think he was that great when he was coming up, you know, but he disappeared and went to Canada. Uh, Willowdale, Ontario did this song called Get Up and Dance, and uh, it was just a 45, and we could get it locally. And it uh, turned out to be, I guess, his audition record, and Motown hired him. Right, and the first record that I ever played by Rick James was called You and I. Yeah, that was after Get Up and Dance. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that def- I know that because I was there. <laughs> I'll be darned. Mm-hmm. And so I'll tell you, I grew up, Ron, in this darn soul city with, uh, well, in Cincinnati, you had the Isley Brothers. Now oh, tell yeah. me, is that soul or is that soul? That is that is soul, gospel soul. When they started off, because they started off, I think they started off in like 57 or 58 with Twist and Shout. Oh, right. Later redone by the Beatles. Right, 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 right. right. And when you hear the Beatles, people, well, now that's a Beatles song. B.S. That's an Isley Brothers song. song. Exact Monday, exactly. That's totally right. Then you had, um, they they left and went to New Jersey. I believe it was Teaneck, New Jersey. Yes, yes. And, And they, they, uh, Marvin Isley was on my radio show. May he rest mm. in peace. Yeah, he passed away. He passed yeah, away. Correct. Yeah, correct. Yes. Marvin Marvin came in to my nightclub where I was DJing, and it was a pretty famous spot in Cincinnati because as I started to tell you what I did and the success that we had, and I, I'm convinced that the reason why there were two hour, hour and a half waits to get in that door every darn Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Yeah, they came. They came to see these guys work and play good music. They worked. They didn't just stand up and just play. They worked. Yeah, there you go. I'm telling you, Marvin Isley uh, came in there and met the people, and we announced him as our special guest, and people lined up to see him, and he had heard about the work that I had done with Roger and and what was at that time, with Roger Zap. and Zap. Yes. Yeah. And if you listen to the beginning of this show, when you get the completed copy, Ron, uh-huh. you're going to hear a gentleman playing the talk box at, oh, the, yeah. at yeah. the open. You know who yeah. that gentleman is on that talk box? Who is it, Roger? It's Roger. Yeah. Yes, Roger <laughs> gave me that drop. He's a Ricky Flynn, I'm going to give you this. And it's for doing everything to promote that. Because when Warner Brothers handed me a song called More Bounce to the Ounce, right? they didn't even know 
who Zap was th- themselves. And we're, well, that was a funky song for the. the uh, we loved it, man. That went over very well in the black neighborhood. Oh, I'm telling you what, I. But I, you know something I would like to just add as far as the talk about goes. I really think he got that idea from Peter Frampton. No, I don't believe so. I think it's the I, reverse. I, I don't know who, who did it first. I'm no, not sure. No, 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 no. I'm wrong, wrong, wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, Correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, son, you're so wrong. Son, you're wrong. Because what happened is he was growing up and I was growing up in a little town. I was born in Pittsburgh, but at age nine, my father accepted a, a position. So we moved to greater Cincinnati to uh-huh. a little, little town called Hamilton, Ohio. I know where Hamilton is. <laughs> All right. Hamilton, Ohio was the town where a young man would sit out on his porch playing harmonica with his friend Roger, and that young man was called Leroy Bonner. Okay. You don't know who Leroy Bonner is. I think that name is I'm trying to... Well, Bonner's my grandmother's last name, but that's, right. why, maybe that's why it clicked in my head. But that sounds familiar right. to me for some Roller reason. Roller coaster of love. Say okay, what? Yeah. Ow, Ohio players. Ow. Ohio players. That's sugar. Yeah, that's Sugarfoot. That's his real sugar. name. Sugarfoot's real name yeah, I know was sugar. Le- Leroy <laughs> Bonner. I have an Ohio player story. They were coming to uh, uh, Buffalo. And something happened with their equipment. And we had played there the night before with my local band, the one that I played before I became a DJ, the Fabulous Fidelix. And uh, uh, our equipment was still there. And we were packing up, getting ready to move out. You know, the Ohio players are coming off there. They had no equipment and they used every stitch of our equipment. You know, so that was like a good thing for us. You know, the young kids from Niagara Falls, man, the Ohio players are using our equipment. Whoa, uh-huh. whoa. You know, yeah. so that was great for us. So I'll tell you the- what, that they had a group years ago when Lester, the drummer, who's Roger's brother. Uh-huh. He, Lester Troutman. Lester, Lester Troutman. Correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. He was so small, they practically had to lift him up to put him on the, the, the little seat that you play yeah. the drums on. Child protege, huh? Oh, Roger. It was called Little Roger and His Fabulous Vels. Okay. V-E-L-S. Little Roger and His Fabulous Vels. And it had a female named Anna McIntosh that sang the lead. Big Bad Bobby Glover was in there singing. Okay from uh, who later went on to record with him after they switched to Zap. Uh, You know better than me. Oh, no. (laughs) Roger, the first time I laid eyes on Roger was at this Battle of the Bands. And Lester was in grade school, probably second, third grade. He's playing the drums. Roger is there. He had to be, uh, I don't know. I don't even think he was in high school. He was probably mm-hmm. sixth grade, maybe something like that. And he had this guitar and he's, they still have it to this day. It's a white guitar that had these coins pasted all over it. Okay. And yeah, it was full of coins stuck on it. And darn it, if he did not have this guitar hooked up to a, a Leslie tone cabinet. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard of people trying to do that back in the day. Oh, he had it hooked up. And, you know, the Leslie with that spinning around yeah, set that, of horns. Yeah, with, with that rotor. Yes. And, and and I looked at this cat, and here he's playing the guitar with his teeth. Yeah. And on a Leslie tone cabinet, making where the, it's swirling the sound all around. And well, back well, then he had the darn uh, talk box. And if he didn't have it at that particular gig, he got it almost immediately thereafter. Because okay. for many, many years before he was discovered, and I'll tell you who discovered him. It was the aforementioned gentleman that we just talked about, Phelps Collins. Okay. Catfish. Catfish went into the club in Cincinnati, greater Cincinnati. He said, look, this guy, he's, he's above and beyond what you would call normal. And he got on the horn when he got home and he called his big, what he would call 
Bootsy called him his baby big brother, Catfish. But yeah. Catfish called Bootsy and said, something's going on here. You need to check this out. And sure enough, Bootsy had him up in Detroit at mm-hmm. United Sound with George, and the rest was history. Yeah, there you go. But no, Roger had that talk box. Roger Troutman, he, I think he told me on my radio show all those years ago, he said that one of the people that he used to admire was this character, and you're going to have to stretch your imagination. If And, and I know you probably watch TV. They were uh, called. Constantly, constantly. All right, the King family. Yeah, I remember the King family. And this they had one of those this, wholesome shows, those wholesome family shows. Back, yes, right around, yes. I think, right after Mitch Miller. Right, yeah, Mitch Miller and, <laughs> and, the, and the bouncing ball. I know, man. Well, the, King, the King family featured, I think it was an uncle or some type of relative. I believe uh, he was an uncle. And he had this ability to take this Hawaiian guitar and make it talk to speak the English language. He he would he would take the slider in, in his hand, his left hand, that bottleneck type slider. Sure, I know exactly what you're talking and about. And he would get that darn Hawaiian style guitar and make it say English words. And they broadcast that out on TV, and I think that fascinated Roger. Mm, I'm going to try to research that. Alvino, his name was Alvino Ray. Alvino Ray. Okay, I remember that. Write it down. Alvino Ray. I'm a a bit of a historian myself. There it is. That Mm. is what got Roger Troutman going, he told me. That's what led him in his mind to say, not only is music music, but I think I can do something like Alvino Ray used to do, where I can get the music to talk to the people. Right. And if you look at Peter Frampton, that do you feel like we do? Oh, that wasn't till years after that. Okay. Well, now I'm straight. Thank you very much. Well, you had another another white boy in there on that talk box, a guy named Joe Walsh. Oh, I know. Yeah. Rocky Mountain. Rocky Mountain Way is better than the way we had. Now, yeah. that's, that song was written by Joe and and uh, uh, Joe Vitale, his drummer slash flute player. Uh, and Joe was a utility man. He can play a lot of things. Right, he, right. Yeah. He's been on this program here twice so far. Oh, okay. And I'm he, a good company. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Joe Vitale wrote that. And then you had Joe Walsh doing the talk box. And Frampton publicized that talk box on a song called um, uh, Not Only Do You Feel Like We Do, but he did Show Me The Way. Yeah, Show Me The Way. Yeah, right. right. He started it off with. Why don't you show me the way? Yeah. 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 yeah, On the beginning, he had that going on with, I think he probably used a wah-wah pedal in there, too. Yeah, he did. Wow, Actually, wow, he wow, did. wow, wow, wow. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so those two. Definitely a wow, wow pedal. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you what. Roger had that talk box. They used, I think he made his own. He had probably got it from the old blues memory. He wasn't the first in the world to do it. They had that instrument going in the old blues bands. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, there were blues men that had that years before. But what Roger did, unlike Frampton, who used it on two songs that hit the chart, right, and right. unlike Joe Walsh, who's used it on one that hit the chart, Roger, every song that he did, and he hit did the charts, yeah. and hit the charts, he was always in the top 10, and every damn mm. thing he did had a talk box on it. When it comes to making money on the it top box. It became a signature. It became a signature. Now, Ron, you're starting to learn now, brother. <laughs> <laughs> My God, you're learning. You're catching on real quick. <laughs> when it comes to making money on the talk box, and that's all I'm talking about, just the talk box as an instrument, as the signature, nobody put more records on the chart or did it more than Roger right. Troutman. 
Yeah, he did. He did. He did. He did it good. He had a nice slow song that he used to talk box on. I forget the girls love it. I can't remember the name of it. It was with Tupac Shakur, and it was called uh, California Love. Yeah, Cal- yeah, yeah. California. Don't, 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 that's the one Bill Meyer uses. Party. That's Bill Meyer's theme song. California knows yeah, how it. to party. Yep, that's it. And there that you go. Huge Ron, there's hope for you yet, brother. <laughs> I think you have something going. We're going to try to get you well, in the you, soul business. You got me before this is over. I'm going to see if I can get you too, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I think I'm older than you, Ron. And if I'm uh, not, we're pretty you, damn close to the same uh, age. Well, I'm 68, but I was raised by the, uh, the older people so I, I classify i think i'm more like about 88 89 oh, oh ron, ron. <laughs> if you know mentally because i mean you get an education out there you know with the musicians and people don't you, you can't learn it nowhere else you gotta be there you just can't learn that in school you just have to be a part of it no that's right ron i did not know this i swear to god i did not know this please believe me i just now found out right here today this moment you and i are the same age oh really okay there you go there you go and um, by the way 1954 53 okay you got me by an inch but that's yeah, okay september september 53 okay so you're five months older than me i'm born in february there you are there you are mm-hmm. and uh, you want to thank somebody for having you on it was my sweet soul sister martha high Oh, my big sister. Yeah, oh, we got, I love I got, her. We got tales. We we went through a lot together. We went so, through a whole lot together, yeah. you know. So, now, Rick, this, sister. this business is about helping each other. And That's I want you to put Rock and Ron Laster on your show because we got to <laughs> help each other. <laughs> yes, my buddy. I cannot turn down my sweet soul sister, Ron. Yes, he's a good person. Oh, isn't that true? And we used to play her, as she's well aware, on the South Soul label with the same act on South Soul that had Vincent Montana and the South Soul Orchestra back when she did a song called Showdown. Yeah, we used to play that song. It should be one of our openers for years. Right, Showdown on the dance floor. Everybody everybody get up. up. Oh, Ron, (laughs) there's hope for you yet, my brother. uh, Actually, I played Showdown a million times. I wish you could have heard the final after we played it so many times as opposed to how we ended up playing it live as opposed to the actual cut. She should have recut that song because we put a lot of new funk on it. I mean, it's still the same job, you know, same texture, mm-hmm. but it was much more funkier because we refined it a little bit. You know, it's different when you play live as opposed to learning a song in the studio. Mm-hmm. You know, if you play it so many times, you start figuring, dog, I wish we had did it when we cut it this time. You know, things like that come up. Right. Now, she said that uh, she told me, look, Ron's got a new album. I uh, think you ought to find out about it and do Mm -hmm. to Ron what you did to me and help him out on this. I knew nothing about this new album until Sister Martha told me about it. And it's an act which is called Soul de Lune. That's correct. And now, Marsha, uh, Marsha, yeah, I'm thinking, <laughs> Marcia, I'm thinking Marcia, of Marcia, Marcia okay. Brady from the Brady yeah, Bunch. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody wants to see what Marsha Brady looks like today, you go to rickflynnproductions.com, and she's there. Her picture is there with mm-hmm. me, and that's Marsha Brady. Her real name is Maureen McCormick. Yeah, I seen uh, they had some the little reunion thing or something that they had last year, some big reunion. I seen I seen how they look like. Right. Well, Martha told me that you had an act. She used to live in France, and now yeah. here's your group, Soul de Lune. My right. French is not that good. Does Soul de Lune mean soul at, under the moonlight or soul it's, it's at something- night? It's something like that. I, I speak French. Now, the actual person who was uh, uh, came up with the great idea, Claire LaMontagne. Now, it's ironic. I met her through my, my present uh, uh, other half. She used to go with her brother. 
And uh, I met her a long time ago. Now, she was going with this guy or married to Jeff Brown, who was a hell of a B3 player back in the day. You know, a lot of people knew him. He was like one step away from being super famous. You know what I'm saying? But he was always with Jimmy Smith and and uh, Jimmy McGriff and people like that. You know, he was in that caliber. Anyway, we met and she told me, uh, uh, Jeff, before he died, he said, Ron, can you help me out on this? Um, I'm trying to do an album. I got cancer. I'm trying to get this album, blah, 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 blah. I played on two songs. Was in them. This was like in the early 90s. And uh, I hadn't heard anything. The album didn't do anything much, you know. And then recently, me and Claire got back in contact. She just called me out the blue and said, hey, I want to, I found a bunch of Jeff's old songs. Can you uh, let's go in the studio and let's redo them and finish what we started? I said, okay, cool. You know, fine. You know, it's another gig for me as far as I said. It started off with me doing two songs, Take a Look at This World and Let's Get Started All Over Again. That was a... a Jeff songs and I redid them. I updated them and she liked them so much. She said, what else you got? And then we just went ahead and continued and finished the project. Now the name of your current album with soul day loon is take a look at this world. That's correct. That was, I thought of that just to give respect to Jeff for the one song that he did take a look at this world. So I thought it would be a good idea to entitle the album, take a look at this world. And plus if you look at the song selection that we got, it's not we're not really one particular style. I guess it's just the madness of Ron Lassler's head. But, you know, we got a little bit of everything. I mean, we're even doing Riders on the Storm. I mean, right. come on. That's who, by who, the who, doors. Yeah. Who's ever thought of that? You know what uh, I'm saying? Your so, old boss would not have selected that. He wouldn't have <laughs> that. I know. That's, I guess it's straight from the insanity of Ron Laster. Right, but I'm telling you what, that's, uh, Riders on the Storm is the fourth track on the album. If you uh -huh. go up to track six, now I guarantee you that your old boss would sing that because I've heard him do it. Which one is that? Because I'm definitely not aware of the order. It's about an old sweet song. Oh, Georgia. That keeps Georgia on my yeah, mind. We had to do Georgia. We had to do. That's one of my favorite songs I used to do with Mr. Brown. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, the first track is uh, straight out of Oakland, California. It makes me want to call you Emilio Castillo. <laughs> well, my boys, Tower of Power. Tower now. of Power. That's what it reminds me of. That's how you're coming out of the gate with that Oakland, California Tower of Power sound. And it, that's it, called come on. come on. Yeah. <laughs> Actually next... that was yeah, that was done too. I just wanted to throw this in real quick. The 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 musician on that one uh, that really helped me a lot with that was little John Roberts. He played with Janet Jackson. Oh uh, my. Yeah, that, that, he was his drummer. She was he was her drummer, excuse me. And uh I met him sitting in at this club called the Apache and we just jammed together and he liked one of the dancers and we became friends from afar. So I picked up the phone to call him thinking I'm off to pay up the wazoo to get him and he said ryan what time you need me i'll be there you know you my boy i'll call you and he came and next thing we know we just got the jamming and i said i got this song that i was working on before in the past you know help me out with it and that's how we got come on and i got my boys the horn players the kennesaw horns came in and we just got funky with it well if you notice at the beginning of come on i'll be like oh yeah it's time to get down with soul Delude. and guess what i got my people with y'all the mighty jb's 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 <laughs> yeah and then we just dropped come on yeah yeah, but I did. I did a lot of stuff, uh, man. I did a lot of stuff. You know, after I became the backup uh, MC for, for Danny Ray. No, that's uh, true. I've seen it. I've yeah, seen it. And I did a lot of MC work with, uh, you know, with 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 James. Just a lot. He and when he heard my voice, he incorporated me in the show. Uh -huh. And uh, then sometimes he would get mad at this. James was smart. He always kept two of everything. Yeah. Oh yeah. Know, so nobody would have power. Yeah. So when he would get mad at Dan, he's like, Ron, you know what I'm saying? The show tonight, the show turn. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he said, Mr. Raiden lost it. He don't know what he's doing. Oh, <laughs> <You know? no. laughs> but he would do that. I mean, just like 
even for me, one night we were doing a gig. He was mad with me. It's about something. Who knows? It, it doesn't even matter. But he was upset about something. He was taking my solos. Everything I did, I yada tune, uh, blah, blah, blah. Everything I did that night was wrong. So he caught this. Actually, actually, the true story. It was Woodstock. And he had been messing with me that whole everything. And the crowd was like, they were not doing the, they, they were throwing stuff at us on stage. A bass player got hit in the mouth with an orange. Oh, you know, no. No. And, oh yeah. And we were like having a rough time. You know I mean? It was one of them things like, you know, 500,000 people giving us hell. And finally, James said, we're going to go back a few years. We're going back to Jimi Hendrix. And he stepped me out and I did that solo and I changed the whole tempo of the whole crowd. All 500,000 people jumped up in the air. They started screaming. They loved us after that. You, and said, I you did pur the purple haze. Yeah, and if you see that video, right up when I finished the video, I kind of looked at James and looked at my head. I was trying to see deeply in the back of my mind was like saying, now, look, see, see what I did? <laughs> yeah, purple haze. Excuse <laughs> yeah. me I while I kiss the lady. sky. Foxy lady. Yeah, okay. foxy lady, yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Oh, then my. I did a little bit of Star Spangled Banner. Right. And, th and then I just did a bunch of ryan laster solo and, and you know using the feedback from the amp you know what i mean and yes getting yes jumped on the wow wow you know uh your wah wah pedal oh yes definitely I, that's how hey that's if you listen to the album you'll see i'm just that's a lot of wow wow all the way through there you took the uh the woodstock appearance to a to another level with that but if I could get serious, which we haven't been the whole show, but okay. there is something I just wanted the people to know as an inspiration to everybody sure. out there. You mm -hmm. were born with a, a, a scoliosis. Yeah, and yeah. I'm still I know, going that. I know mm -hmm. what scoliosis is. I don't have it, but mm -hmm. scoliosis is is what is it is a curvature of the spine. Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, I'm going in in about four or five weeks for surgery. But now, Ron, I've seen you on the stage uh, with James. I've seen you on TV with James. Mm -hmm. I've seen you on David Letterman's show with yep. James. Arsenio, mm -hmm. Johnny Carson. Yes, uh, I, yeah. I watched every one of those. Okay. And there is no, I'm seeing no curvature of the spine well believe me it was there but you know like when i was young and i went to the doctor he said look you're gonna be all right for a while he said but you know if you don't do something you know in your later years he said when you get past 50 he said you're gonna have a lot of problems and he did not lie <laughs> he oh. definitely didn't lie it's to the point now where i can't even duck the surgery anymore i have to do it so so therefore, when one has scoliosis, that does not mean that you're walking down the street with a hunchback. Oh, no, no, no. That's when it's getting way beyond. You're talking of advanced. Uh, you probably got everything mixed up with it. Spinal diphtheria, uh, all kinds of things. When they get that big old hunch in their back, you know. Yes, yes. But, but no, but I'm li I'm leaning. I'm, I'm like the leaning tower of pizza. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> leaning tower of pizza. Of pizza, not that, pizza, pizza. Right, pizza. <laughs> yes, sir. How tall are you? How tall? Uh, well, believe this, I've been 5'11 all of my life. And so when I went to the doctor the other day, she asked me, how tall are you? I, she said, I said, 5'11. She said, wait a minute. She said, I'm 5'9. And I was kind of like looking up at her. I said, you got to be kidding me. She measured me. She said, you're 5'8 and a half. And I said, what? And I went to the doctor and they said, yes, that I got two discs with a the, the little padding in between totally gone. So, you know, as you go, as you get older, you shriek anyway. But uh, I lost that padding in between two discs or whatever. Anyway, I've lost almost three inches since I was, you know, coming up uh, out of college. I've lost about three inches. Brother, I want to tell you a true story going to take me about 10 seconds because I just got back from Christ okay. Hospital at the doctor and from for a, a scheduled checkup. Uh -huh. And they looked at me and they said, uh, all right, now, uh, Mr. Flynn, are, are you still 5'11"? I said, no, ma'am, uh, I'm six feet. 
said, six feet? I said, yes, ma'am. Ever since I turned 18, I was six feet. I've been six even my whole life. They said, excuse me, sir. We have the results right here. (laughs) My friend, you are 5'11". So you've lost an inch. Right. We're the same age. I've lost an inch. And that's without scoliosis. That's without it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. 268 years old. And now look what we're doing. We're going backwards. Going backwards. They they call it disc degeneration. That's what it is. Right. See, between the vertebrae of the spine, you know what they call those pads when the doctor describes it to people? He calls it a jelly donut. Okay, okay. I haven't heard that term. Well, but yeah. yeah, yeah, they they refer to it in But I can street. see the similarities. I can definitely see the reference. Yes, it's a jelly donut. And when you're young, the vertebrae each have that jelly donut in between right. them. But as you age and as you get older, that jelly donut, it begins to shrink, see? Yeah, the jelly starts de-gelling. Yes, yes. So that's how somebody like you can lose two inches. I can lose an inch. That's That's normal. Yeah. That's normal. Oh, yeah, it's normal. It's normal. It's normal. But mine is a little bit more because of the, you know, the actual situation. Right, correct. And you know, too, what else? I, you, you know, I was born with six fingers, too. I had six no. fingers on each. Yes, I had six fingers. Do you still? No, no. When you're little, they tie, they tie this little, uh, uh, they tie a string of, of thread around it, and they just pull it tight, and they just wait till it falls off. My mother still has it. Oh, my God. She has both She has both of them. Yeah. One of them had an actual working bone. The other one was more like a little slab of meat or something, but uh. I actually had a working bone on my left hand. I said, now, what if they hadn't taken that out? What kind of guitar player would I have became? <laughs> oh, my God. I've and that's a true story. That. Yeah, me and, uh, uh, and ironically, our trombone player, uh, Tyrone Jefferson, he was another, the only other person other than from my mother and my sister and my son. He had it, too. He had six fingers, too. That's and uh, uh, Tyrone, he's the only other person I knew that had six fingers. But yeah, I guess I was a little weirdo. Well, now I'll tell you who Bootsy always used to look up to. He liked the bass player. Uh, bu- 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 I, Marcus Miller. No, 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 no. Uh, for uh, what was it for Sly? Larry Graham. Yeah, I'm telling you that that was the, like our heroes back then. I was a Freddie Stone freak, and the, the bass players love Larry Graham. Yeah, you know what I mean. And, yes. and the drummers like the little white boy, uh, Jerry. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, not, not Jerry. A uh, Greg uh, Erico. Greg Erico. Uh, he was a, he was like a, a little funky white boy. You know what I mean? And who you know, did he play it was with? Very hard to see white boys playing funk back then. Yes. Who did he play with? What band? He played. He played with Sly. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. He played with Larry Graham. He was Larry Graham, Freddie, and then it was uh, Greg, the one I'm telling you about. Yeah. Now I'll tell you what. I've seen some white boys on that Tower of Power that oh, you yeah. don't Come you on, don't want to y'all don't question their ability. David Garibaldi. Oh my goodness gracious! Yes. Yeah. Yes. Was, yeah. They're my heroes. Them boys were funky now. Now let me tell you on your album Soul Day Loon. Take a look at this world is the name uh-huh. of it. Eleven right. songs. Ronald Rock Laster. You're the one that put the whole album together, or yep. you had help, I guess, doing uh, it. Whose idea? Whose idea was it to record it? Well, actually, Claire came up with the, the original idea for me to just try to update a couple of songs, as I said earlier. And uh, it just became, and I told her, I said, look, let me bring my boy in with me. I said, Fred Thomas. Now, Fred Thomas, he's older than us, and Fred played on a lot of hits with James. And Plus, he was like almost like my best friend. Still to this day, I was best man at his wedding and everything. And, you know, and plus, I used to say, I need Fred to calm me down because I could have a habit sometime of turning into James Brown into the studio because I was taught by James, you know. Mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, I need, you know, Fred would always keep me even keel 
and I would keep him even killed. So we got, got together with him. But then, too, I also got a few other bass players like uh, John Roberts, uh, who played on Come On and uh, I forget the other one he played on. Then I played bass on, uh, well, I don't know if it's on the album, uh, Contagion. I played bass on that. And uh, let's see. And, oh, and my, I got to I gotta give a shout out to my homeboys, uh, Kenny Smith and Tondula, Tondula Ray Smith, the, their, their husband and wife. He played on Take a Look at This World. He's a good bass player out of Buffalo. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. So I got, I got, let's see, I got a, let's see, one from, two from Buffalo. Lisa's from Buffalo. Kenny's from Buffalo. I'm from Niagara Falls. Tondi's from Niagara Falls. And this girl, T. Ray, is from Niagara Falls. So I tried to keep a, you know, I tried to keep a few of us coming from that little town that we come from, because that's definitely not a place, you know, that's just, just happy to get out of there. Great to be great to raise your kids there. Well, not anymore, but it used to be when we were like the number fourth largest city in the state. But then when in industry moved out, but it was a lot. It's a melting pot. We're right on the border. So we caught a, we caught a lot of different types of, you know, genres. You know, we would I was around the French. That's why I speak French. And then, then you know, we had the Italians, you know, you got all the mobsters kids went, went to school. They all would move to Niagara Falls. So we got a little taste of everything coming from there. And I just wanted to try to see if I could make that taste overflow on the album. And plus I wanted my, you know, friends, family, you know, and stuff like that to let them know that, Hey, we got out, we got out of there, you know? So the important thing to you about this album is that you're playing with the people that formed you, that molded yeah, well, you. Yeah. Well, that, and well, and vice versa, some of the ones that I helped mold also, you know what I'm saying? These are uh, basically more like, Ryan Laster and friends. Right. Your life basically is in this album. Your heart and, and the life and the upbringing both ways. The people helped you and the people you helped. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, that's it. That's it. And and uh, some of those songs like Tiger For Your Love, I wrote that in uh, 91, right at the time of the Rodney King murders. I had wrote oh, that yeah. in the uh, and the day after I got on the flight to come home, that's when they had announced the verdict about Rodney King. And that's when the riots began. They, we lost a couple uh, of my masters because they threw a firebomb in the studio that we used to record at. And oh, uh, we lost them. Yeah, they were, uh, it was crazy. I mean, the night that that was happening, they called me up. They said, Ryan, they're going crazy out here. They throw the studios on fire and they're outside shooting. I said, oh my goodness. I said, did you save Tiger? And he said, man, the masters are gone. He said, but you know, I had a two-track mix, just a two-track mix. I took that two-track mix and had hiss and everything. I took it to my boy Raheem, that's our engineer that engineered the album. He sat down there with that thing and I just got another drummer and played a drum track on top of my old track. We did a lot of cleaning up and mixing and then we decided to put it on the album, so... Right, that's the second song on the album. It's called yeah. "Tiger for Your Tiger Love." Tiger for your love, yeah. and you're doing a you're doing a guitar solo in there, and you you yeah. also have a Hammond B three solo in there. Yes, yep, yes, I do. Yes, I do, and I still don't even know the guy's name. I was doing the thing, and I said, "Man, I need to put a Hammond or an organ or something in there." And the guy and the guy that owned the studio, Mike, he said, uh, "Man, I got a guy." The guy came in. And he cut that little organ part and he left. I don't know his name. I don't know who he was. I don't know who he came from. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to this day, I could not, you could get me a million dollars and I would not know who played that. Oh, but no, and Tiger and, and, yeah, and then my boy, Jimmy Lee Moore, he was a bass player with us. But I did all the guitars on that and uh, uh, Jimmy played bass. We used a drum, uh, a drum machine originally. But then when we took it back up here recently, I put real drums on top of it to take away that old drum feel. So we kind of, we updated it the best way we could. And a lot of people like Tiger. That's what I used to think, you know, my, my girl tells me, said, that's your retirement, believe it or not. I said, well, we got to get it out so people can hear it. You know what I mean? It's, right. like, it's funky. <laughs> it's funky. Tiger for your love is a funky tune. <laughs> I like it too. Yeah. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Ronald Rock Laster, the master music blaster. He started out playing guitar as a kid. He later went on to a DJ position in Niagara Falls, New York. Then he got an offer from a girl by the name 
of Ann. You got a phone call which changed yeah. your life. Who no, she, is Ann and Ann, how did she know to call you? Here is the Ann story. Okay. We like I said, we lived on the Canadian border. And uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, the bars in Canada would close at one o'clock. And we would still be open. And my band, the Fabulous Fidelics, we eventually changed our name to a whole lot of things. But uh, she used to come over and she caught our band. She became good friends with our lead vocalist, who was Kathy Jordan, who eventually married Reverend Sharpton, Reverend Al Sharpton. She married him. But anyway, they were good friends. And then we kind of liked each other, too. So we used to hang out and go when we finish a gig, drive up to her father's house and they lived on a lake and we he used to play uh, congas and we used to sit around and jam with our acoustic guitars. You know how it was back in the 70s. You know, you sit back and, you know, have those, you know, smoke outs and playing, your, you know, the hippie stuff almost, you know, the last of the hippie days. And uh, we became very, very good friends. And uh, I was running a club at that time. I became a manager of this club called Joe's Convention Lounge. We used to bring in nostalgia acts like the Marvelettes. The Shirelles, you know, we'd bring in old stuff like that for a city like Niagara Falls. That was good because it was just a local bar. Anyway, uh, uh, she came up to me one day and she said, look, I got a job singing with this group called Reed Incorporated. I'm going to Miami. And I said, oh, man, OK, because she was like our number one fan. She even got us gigs playing for the hockey players up in Grimsby, Ontario. We used to play for uh, the, this Kitchener, uh, what, the junior OHA hockey team or whatever. But we would play for them and they would come in and get drunk and tear the club up, you know, stuff like that. And uh, I hadn't heard from her. Then one day at the Club Blue Sky, she gave me a call and said, look, uh, guitar player Keith Gregory has just quit. And we're on our way to Buffalo and I've been telling Brown about you. And this is when I was DJing and club managing and all that stuff because the band had broke up. My bass player quit and over some stupid stuff. And that's another story, too. If you, if you see my Timmy Willis video, I explained that situation there. She asked me, you know, would I come and sit in? I mean, would I come and audition? I said, sure. So I got a backup DJ, drove over to Buffalo, Statler Hilton, Statler Hilton or wherever it was. And uh, the guys were sitting around. There was no James Brown. The guys were sitting around playing. And they said, you the guy that Ann talking about? I said, yeah. They said, you got your guitar? I said, yeah. So he picked it up. He said, here, play this. I played that. He said, all right, play this. I played that. All of this is like in a minute, one minute. And then he, they said, do you play Tunk? Now, do you know what Tunk is? Tunk is a game similar to Gen Rummy, but it's a game that a lot of musicians play, a lot of black people play. You know, it's a little gambling game. You know, it's like Gen Rummy, just a, a condensed version of Gen Rummy. And I said, of course, what did they hit for? And they turned around and looked at each other and said, that's the guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'd have fired my rear end because I didn't know what Tunk was. Uh, that's what I'm saying. But And that's all we used to do, man. We, when I got in the group, we would play Tunk and all that stuff. And, and, and when how I got the name Rock. Now, James hadn't met me, mind you, and we're playing at Studio 54. Uh, who was there that night? That's the first I was getting starstruck because I checked in the hotel. The Ohio players were checking out. So I was, you know, like reminding Sugar them about the equipment store. And I'm like, yeah, I said, oh, okay, I guess I'm in show business now. And uh, we had played Studio 54 that night. And James, there was a part where James was introducing the whole band. He got to me, didn't have no clue what my name was, didn't know anything about me. He said, I don't get that. He said, Daddy Rock. Boy, and everybody. <laughs> every Because, you know, I was playing like those rockish type solos and right. stuff. You know he called I mean? you he Daddy Rock. Daddy Rock. Daddy Rock. And eventually, they called me Daddy Rock for a couple months to eventually they dropped the rock. And then after I was, made my appearance in Rocky Four. They started calling me Rocky Four. Then they started calling me Rocky G. Then they started calling me Rocky, you know. But overall, the rock stuck. It stuck like glue. Now, and, I uh, heard I heard at the Studio 54 Club, Blondie was over there. Yeah, that's, that was the first real star that I met. She was sitting right next to uh, in the wings on the side of the stage, Debbie Harry. She was real cool, too. You know, and that's, I was like in awe when I met her because she would just she would just did Rapture, I think. Right, right. Fly, fly, yeah. Freddy. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. She's yeah. trying to rap, trying to rap. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, trying to white, make a living is what girl, she's trying to do. White girl rep. White girl rep. White I, girl rep. I don't care for it. Uh, but you know what? If she made money off of it, I, I'm happy for her. I'm oh, real yeah, happy yeah, for Yeah, her. really, for real. I'm just saying, you know, I mean, for real. Uh, get, right. get, get that money. You know, that, that's rapture, that rapture was a popular, that was a hit record. It was a total hit. I mean, and at that time, she was on fire. Right. And she had another big hit called Heart of Glass. Yeah, heart of glass. Yeah. Oh, now that was big. That was big for her. Yeah, but obviously she was just a fad. Yeah. (laughs) Oh well. Yeah. 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 Now the romantics um, uh, who did I hear the secrets that you keep when you're talking in your sleep. When you're talking in your sleep, they needed a drummer, and uh, Debbie Harry told them they were telling me. Uh, Debbie Harry told them to try this guy out named Brad Elvis. Okay. That is his name. Now, if you want to see Brad Elvis, go to uh, my Facebook page, Rick Flynn Presents, and there he is. He does this routine where he takes the butt end of a drumstick and puts it in the center of the palm of his hand and balances it straight up in the air. And while he's doing that with his hand up in the air and this stick totally north to south, erect, he's playing the beat with his other hand, see? Oh, okay. He's show, showing then. Yes, yeah, he's show, a yeah. showman. And he showman. got in. He got into the romantics because Debbie Harry recommended him. Small world. It's a small world. I'm telling Mm -hmm. you, Ron, the hour is gone. Ladies and gentlemen, the album is called Take a Look at This World. It contains 11 songs. It is by Soul De Lune, and that is the name of the group, if you wish to call it that, that our guest today, Ronald Rock Laster, put together after 27 good years with the godfather of soul, James Brown. And how long did it take to get the whole album from A to oh, Z done? Well, that, it took a while, not really that long, but that was a break in COVID. I cut most of this during COVID. So a lot of times we couldn't get in the studio because of, you know, the COVID restrictions and everybody was paranoid when Delta first hit the scene, you know. So uh, we did a couple months, then we took a couple months off, and then we did a couple months. I would say all together, it took us about a year and a half to do it, about it, uh, totally. But I mean, if you take all the gaps out, it probably did it in about three, four months. All right. Now, if somebody is listening and they say, I want this album I want to hear what the JBs or the Soul Generals or what do you have a mixed up from both groups or are they primarily the JBs in there or are they primarily the Soul Generals? Well, Who's we playing got, with you? The actually the only Soul General is uh, Keith Keith Jenkins. He was the white guitar player that came in later on. Keith play. He was a good friend of mine also, and I got him to play like uh, on a few of the cuts. Then I had Fred. Now, the reason I said the JBs originally, Fred Wesley, Tyrone, and the boys, they were supposed to drive down. And for some reason, miscommunications, they never made it to the studio. They never made it. So I just said, well, at least I'm not lying. I do have two JBs on there and one soul general. And then I brought Martha in, and then she wasn't either one. She was a bittersweet. <laughs> yeah, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> but I had to bring her in, and then Lisa, she was a bittersweet also. So I got, you know, two of the girls that sang, and two JBs and one soul general, and then the rest, like I said, I had Janet Jackson guy. Then I had one that played with Charlie Pride, Mike Mapson. He played on That's Life. He used to play with Charlie Pride. I got uh, my couple students that I was Cordell and Jay, the one that sounds like Barry White. I used to, they were like kids coming over to my house to give them some lessons, and they were good, and I decided to keep them. They actually were on Amateur Night at the Apollo a couple times. That and, boy's uh, dead on, Barry White. Dead oh, yeah, on. He him. got him. He got him now. He's got him. And he plays alto sax. 
he does uh like on take a look at this world he's the one doing the horns on that by himself i'll be done that's the title track title mm-hmm. track of the album but if they want it you know it's available on spotify pandora a few other stations uh you know some of the youtube stuff david prematurely put a couple of them on we're trying to take them down after we finished mixing them the way they should have been done in the first place but it was just in a hurry to get us out there you know david is a good good guy you know what i mean he's really adamant he's if you tell him to do something it's done and if you don't do it he'll stay on you until it's done so i got a good partner in the company so since we are i am the third partner in the rock and chair production so gotta have a guy like that i'm the music guy he's the, the motivation guy he's the one to get your ass up guy you know he's right that yes guy. Yeah. yeah all right now if somebody wants the album ron how are they going to get it spotify Pandora has it. Uh, other than for that, uh, we're working on uh, uh, getting it in retail stores if we get to that. But, you know, that's we're still a young company in the works, still, on, you know, on a low budget and we're still doing everything we can. But right now it's basically through the Internet. If somebody wants to get a hold of Rock and Ron Blaster, the master music blaster, <laughs> how do you suggest they do that? Go to rocklaster at yahoo.com and I'll be, I'll get it. Rock, L-A-S-T-E-R. At yahoo.com. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Our guest today for this iconic historic show in, (laughs) in regard to funk music, which I never get tired of talking about since it was such an important part of my career and my life. And I grew up all around it. I'm telling you what. And then we later in, in other years, here came the deal. Here came the Callaway brothers, um, Reggie and Vincent that produced, yeah. produced Teddy Pendergrass singing yeah. joy. Yeah, familiar i'm familiar Mm -hmm. produced uh gladys knight singing love overboard oh i could listen to that every day of my life and never well, maybe you might have checked you might want to check ancestry.com you might have some black in there somewhere you uh, might have some you, soul I, in there somewhere i i will well no i had a drum i had a dad to play drums behind <laughs> lou rawls he uh, played drums behind Mom's Mabley. He played okay. w- when he married Mom. He was the oh, so drum- it's in your blood. It's oh, in your blood. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. He was a drummer with the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra when okay. I was born. Okay, certainly. That's how it came. I was born uh, into it. Yeah, well, that's how you got to get it. If you're around it like that, it sticks with you. Right there, you go. Well, it's been a fabulous show. I want to thank Sister Martha High, my sweet soul sister, for making this show possible. And before we get out of here, Ron, I just want to let you know that Martha, the very first time she came on this program, she says, Rick, I think you ought to interview Danny Ray. Because she always said, there's two people whose voice that I like. Mm -hmm. Yours and Danny Ray. You remind Mm -hmm. me of the voice of Danny Ray. Yeah. <laughs> ah, yeah, I can do Danny too. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was in contact with her. I said, I'm ready to go. Get me Danny Ray. We're going to bring him on. And then, of course. Then he passed away. Yeah. He passed away, and that interview mm-hmm. never happened. You would have so, loved that one. That would have been a killer. Yes, yes, yes. He, she, he appeared with her on her It's High Time show. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he And then I, I would imagine that was probably his last interview. Yeah. But um, if Danny was there, it was a killer. Danny was a funny guy, man. Yes, I'm sure he was. And yeah, boy, he had, what, 40 years with James, something like that. I think he told me 1959. Uh, and I was born in 53, so. Really? That's what I'm saying. You know, we were had like a, babies. God, what a career. What a But you know what? That didn't stop James from getting mad at him from time to time. No, nah, James got mad at everybody. So he got matter. mad you know, at everybody. He can't take it personally because we just used to look at each other and say, it's your turn. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, no, that is so true. Ladies and gentlemen, how can I thank this man enough other than to say Rock and Ron Laster, the master music blaster. I want everybody to go out and look up, take a look at this world by Soul Day Loon. And that is the 11-song album. It's on Spotify. It is on, what else? Pandora, YouTube, uh, and there's a few other sites that I'm not familiar with. We just got, we they, they just heard Tiger for the first time, and David said we just got three new uh, uh, playlists. So I'm not sure about all of them. That's David's area i just they just call me i said call me when the check comes <laughs> there you go that we, you are you heard what chris rock just said about that slap that will smith gave him yeah he says oh i'm gonna talk about it all right but first i'm gonna get paid that's right that's <laughs> right whoever comes up with the money you see the way it works ron that's the one chris rock's gonna go on their air and tell the story and tell the story that's right he's yeah. right it's about that money boy quote but first, I am going to get paid, end quote. Yeah. Mama didn't raise no fool, did she? That's right. That's right. He can take that and work that for a long time. That is so true. Thank that you. That was a resurgence to his career, quiet as it's kept. Boy, I, you know what? That's true. And speaking mm -hmm. of a resurgence to a career, I want to talk to you about another article that I wrote, which described the resurgence to a career of James Brown. And sure. that was when a white boy by the name of Dan Hartman entered yep. his life. We're living in America. We're living in America, which is mm -hmm. what Dan Hartman wrote. And that was the first hit that James had in 15 years. That brought us back. I can tell you, when I joined the group, we were at a low point. We played the Beacon Theater in New York. There was there was only 44 people oh there. And you know how I know it was 44? Because we counted them. Oh, my, <laughs> my, my, my. In New York City, 44 people. And that's when I was saying, oh, my goodness. I thought I was joining something, you know. But, you know, stuck it out, stuck it out. You know, then Dr. Detroit was almost almost bringing him back but not like not like living in america not like sylvester stallone and uh dan hartman no no not like that that's for sure now i'll tell you what ron as hard as it is for me to get out of these shows because uh -huh. it's my life and i love talking about them and uh -huh. if i die tomorrow i've loved this music it has made me the person i am and this soul music, as far as I am concerned, it is a business that has been enjoyed, loved by white and blacks. And I yeah. guarantee you, I have seen it. Everybody likes groups like, for example, Cool and the Gang. Oh, yeah. How oh, yeah. can you not like Stevie Wonder? Oh, you got to like him. <laughs> you have to like Stevie Wonder. Uh, yeah. Ron, funk is funk. People like it. People like to shuffle their feet and get out and dance. And what better way to do it than with some of the major funk acts and artists in the world that just make you plain feel good? Would you agree with that? I totally agree 1,000%. Absolutely. At this time, Ron, I'm just going to have you say good night, Ron. Good night, Ron. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's Rick Flynn speaking. It's been fun, but I've got to run on behalf of myself and a man that goes by the name of Ronald Laster, the master music blaster. 27 great years with one of the best entertainers in the world, Mr. James Brown. We'll see you on the next show, everyone. Have a great night. Bye-bye. The preceding was a Rick Flynn production. This is your announcer, Chantal Marie speaking.